This is Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Naor Menninger. And you're listening to Two Nice Jewish Boys. In collaboration with Australian Jewish News, check them out at ajn.timesofisrael.com. Also in collaboration with Arutz Sheva, israelnationalnews.com. The government in Israel is celebrating two months since its establishment. And boy, what a ride it has been. This week, Prime Minister Bennett will go to Washington for his first meeting with President Biden. But here in Israel, many people feel this government doesn't represent them. One million Likud voters were left out of the party because their leader, Benjamin Netanyahu, has been boycotted by the leaders of the center and left-wing parties. Some people in Israel claim that Israeli society is divided into two. First Israel, mostly left-wing Ashkenazis, and second Israel, mostly right-wing Mizrahis. The elites, which includes mostly first Israel, is depriving second Israel of the game, according to those who believe in this theory, many of them Likud voters. In his new book, the Rise of Anti-Democratic Liberalism in Israel, the U.S., and the West. Dr. Gadi Taub debates that the struggle between First Israel and Second Israel will define the future of this country. Dr. Gadi Taub is probably one of the most hated and despised people among Tel Aviv's intellectual elite. The reason is simple. He was once one of them. An eloquent left-winger, a senior lecturer at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem with a PhD in American studies from Rutgers University and all the right opinions. But alas, Dr. Taub woke up one morning and decided to shift sides. Now Taub publishes in-depth, highly controversial right-wing op-eds in Aaretz. We're thrilled to have Dr. Taub on the show today to talk about his new book, Thank you so much for joining us. Hello. Thank you. Thank and you. There it, will be a translate in English soon. It, it's it's being translated at the moment. We don't yet have a publisher, but uh, but we're optimistic. Um, so so I hope it would see maybe the, Trump the publishing Inc. Isn't there? A, doesn't he have a? <laughs> no, we're aiming. The, we're aiming the art of the deal incorporated <laughs> closer to the closer to the mainstream. But there was a long piece in Mosaic by. Peter Berkowitz, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to air the thesis now in a central publication. I'm not sure. It's uh, okay. I, I still have to submit the piece, but I get, the word is getting out, and and I'll dispute the the introduction. I think yeah. if you don't mind, in two ways. First, it was not one bright morning that I changed my mind. It was. I just dark watched, morning. I I, <laughs> <laughs> no, I watched this uh, this uh, piece by. Uh, at the Rubin Report, um, he he interviewed Thomas Sowell, and he and he told him he said you were a Marxist. What made you change your mind? And Thomas Sowell, in Thomas Sowell fashion, answered in one word, facts. That's what changed my mind. And it took a while. I was an Oslo supporter. Then I realized Palestinians are not going to. Uh, are not uh, seeking peace. And then I became a unilateralist, and I supported the. Um, the withdrawal from Gaza, and then rockets came from Gaza, and then came the uh, the Muslim winter, uh, euphemistically called the Arab Spring, and 
and and nation states collapsed all over the Middle East. So I was reminded of something that I stored somewhere in the back of my brain since I heard about it first um, from Bernard Lewis, who said there are no nation states in the Middle East. There are only four of them, Israel, Turkey, Iran, and Egypt. All the rest, he said, are tribes with flags. And this is what we saw. So, so this general collapse of the last standing principle of order, um, it just disappeared. And it's all dunes and shifting sands. Yeah, but that's so, I mean, Bernard Lewis is so passé. It's all about Edward Said today. <laughs> it's all, yeah, it's all about Ed, Edward Said in academia. <laughs> it's not about Edward Said in reality. <laughs> so Bernard Lewis described reality correctly. And, and then I thought, you know, look at, the, look at the map of the region. Israel is that little cockroach-sized stain on the map. And we have the mountain ridge separating uh, Tel Aviv from the Middle East. And if you take away the mountain ridge, there you, you're left with nine miles. And all this region is just shifting political lava, turning into ISIS and Al-Qaeda and, and, and other agents of chaos. And if we don't have this physical barrier, then what do we assume will protect us? Palestinian nationalism, right? Which, uh, we're assuming under the idea of the two-state solution that the barrier between us and the larger Muslim world would be Palestinian nationalism. And the Palestinian national movement is sick. It's not a healthy national movement. It's bent on destruction. Um, there's an excellent book by two leftists, by the way, uh, which was, which I think does well in America now. Uh, it's called The War of Return. Inat Wilf, who was the Labour Party MK. She was on the podcast once, yeah. Uh, she's a great girl. And, um, and Adi Schwarz, who's a great guy, um, he's now writing his PhD. And the, and, and the book says basically, look, we, we completely misunderstand the Palestinian national movement. It's not a movement aimed at national liberation or at national self-determination. It aims at physical return of the descendants of the refugees to the villages that their fathers occupied before 48. So the destruction of Zionism is their main goal. This is why, and they said in the book, this is why money that you pour into Gaza never goes to reconstruction because they don't think of Gaza as their home. Their home is on the other side of the fence, our side of the fence. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, this is just an encampment um, on the way to liberating the whole of Palestine. Which but what's the second uh, dispute point for the intro? <laughs> the, <laughs> that was the, it. The second, the second dispute point is that m I don't agree completely with the division into first Israel and second Israel. I have, I have this... Polem ongoing polemic with, with a dear friend, um, Avishai Ben Chaim. Eitan, you used his terms. My terms are Nayadim v'Nayachim. Yeah, here in the original intro, I, I tra try to translate it. Nayadim v'Nayachim, it's Into impossible. mobiles and mobiles and fixed or something like that. Mobiles, but then we deleted and, the mobiles and stationary, I guess, stationary, would be the literal yeah. translation, but it doesn't, doesn't sound good. And secondly, you know, these terms, and I, and I said this repeatedly, are not, are not really that original. It's in the air. Everybody's talking about the national, the, the patriots versus the globalists, or, or if you want a geographical 
version, and the best is David Goodhart's uh, book, The Road to Somewhere, where he says the anywheres and the somewheres, and it's the same thing. Th those who are cosmopolitan and see the world horizontally, um, who, are, who feel closer to elites on the other side of the border than they feel to the members of their uh, national group, whom they usually think of as deplorable, to use Hillary Clinton's m m most backfiring um, term ever. Um, and so they, they are trying to distance themselves from the, the hordes of lowbrow xenophobes as, as they think of their, their brethren to the nation. And, this is, and, and they think of them in that way wrongly. And the, and the thesis of my book is, is to say, look, the, the, they need to describe the rest of the populace as lowbrow xenophobes because this is what justifies their undermining of democracy. It's like the whole argument of these elites says that we should rescue democracy from the greatest danger it faces, the citizens, which are awful. So what they're trying to do is they, they pretend to be democratic, but they're not. They, what developed is a, is a top-down liberalism where those elites have, you know, they've reached such a pinnacle of self-confidence that they no longer need the consent of the governed. So they'll be, they'll, they will be the custodians of our sovereignty, and in return, they'll protect our universal human rights from above. For example? I Israel is a, is a great example, because in Israel, the, the Supreme Court has basically usurped sovereignty um, and believes that that it, it, it is a custodian of our of our uh, sovereignty it's an uber government right it, it allows itself to intervene in everything and what people don't realize outside israel is that they don't use a constitution to exercise judicial review of legislation and government action they 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 have appointed themselves to invent the constitution and now they exercise judicial the judicial review of what we have for a constitution, which we don't have a constitution, we have basic laws. Right. And so they, first they derived the, the, their, their authority to strike down legislation from, from basic laws, but now they have usurped the authority to strike down basic laws. It's like, you know, if, if you tell Americans that, that, that a Supreme Court would start striking down articles from the constitutions. That, that's what we have. But we also see now, um, we see the parliament is also striking down, the parliament, the government is striking down basic laws because during COVID, uh, the only two basic laws we have, which is the... Uh, no, no, we, we have a, a great many basic laws. But the, the two maybe most famous ones, let's say, which is the freedom of, uh, of, uh, freedom occupation, of occupation and uh, the freedom of... Uh, uh, human uh, human yeah. dignity and liberty. Right. We, we, within it, it implemented the freedom of movement, I think. In yeah. the, and those two basic laws were just evaporated. Right during COVID, and the Supreme Court didn't do anything about it. Oh, the Supreme Court did a lot. First of all, they didn't evaporate. They should have been, in in my mind, you know, all these people who think they who don't want to be vaccinated. That that's fine, but I don't want to. They should. They they don't have a right to mingle with the vaccinated public, in my opinion. So this is, this has gone completely crazy, in my opinion. Yeah, but according to the basic law, not your opinion, right? 
Each, no, the basic law. The basic law is is very general, and they've written into it a lot of things. This happens everywhere. It happened in America too, where say privacy was written into yeah. in the Bill of Rights. But but why do we have Delta now? We have Delta because the court struck down uh, Netanyahu's policy of limiting the number of entrances. And uh, I'm, they forbade I'm, him from closing, shutting down the airport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is why we have, and and they, and it's a classic case of having authority without responsibility because they, they, they never have responsibility or pay the price for wrong policy. But it just goes to show, doesn't it, that nobody will protect our basic rights, like unless we do, not a court. No, because because no court because. Leaving the country and getting into the country is a basic right in a democracy, right? So the politicians it's, it's wanted a, to deprave us from it, and the Supreme Court was the only, the only one who... That, that's a conception of right that I completely reject. The, the government has the, has the authority to send you to die at war. This is, a, this is the, the, the worst violation of your rights. And yet it has the authority when there is an emergency that justifies it. So basically what you're saying in the name of holy rights is that your right to a vacation trumps all the right of Israelis to remain alive and healthy. I don't accept that. I, th- I think this is, a, this is an, a crazy conception of autonomy completely divorced of, of what human existence is. Eitan, do you have anything to add? Or? No. <laughs> no, I, I, I think that the government doesn't necessarily have the authority to send you to uh, war. I mean, the government derives its power ideally in a democratic uh, from the country people. from the people. Yeah. And so the people have the authority to send the people to war. And the people have the authority to close the airport. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but, but the thing is, you know, we keep thinking that if... If only we, we, we deposit our sovereignty with the court, then they will protect our rights. Let me remind you that the, the, the grossest violation of human rights in Israel is our unbelievable incarceration policy. People are arrested without trial, without seeing a judge. Judges are... Without seeing a are, lawyer. Without seeing a lawyer, judges are the, basically a rubber stamp for the police. Uh, I don't know if this still is true. It was true when Daniel uh, Friedman published the former secretary of uh, the former minister of, Edu- of justice published his book, um, "The Sword and the Purse." But it, it was true at the time, I think, that a third... Aaron Barak a third, is The Sword and, and the Purse, n- no? Oh. The, no, no, The Sword and the Purse, the name, the book called The Sword and the... The, the, the phrase sword. is taken from Aaron Barak, but ah, the okay. book is... Because Aaron Barak said, we neither have the sword nor the purse. And Daniel Friedman is basically saying, okay. you have both. Um, and, and what he says is about a third of the people incarcerated in Israel are arrested rather than rather than convicted. And this is crazy. And so these people are not protecting our rights. Um, and they're very selective. And the Israeli court represents first Israel, if there ever was a, a, an institution that does. And what people don't realize outside Israel is that they also control the appointment of their own colleagues. So basically... I mean, mm, they are in the committee, some of them. They, have, they, are not. they have veto power. They have veto power. And the politicians don't? The politicians now, ever since the Saar reform, the politicians 
along with others, maybe have veto power. But the politicians are always divided between right and left. Yeah. And so what happened for years was that the, the judges did what they are forbidden from doing, is that they coordinated their votes. And along with the lawyers on the committee, they had a majority. Now the lawyers are afraid of the Supreme Court judges because they have to appear in front of them. So, yeah. so they, they had basic control. And we see the results. The court is way, way outside the spectrum. You know, I have a whole chapter in my book about immigration policy. And, and uh, this is the area where the judges intervene most. And the two judges who are tasked, they become, it's also, it shouldn't be like that. They, they, all, all the appeals regards immigration <coughs> reach these two judges, Daphna Barak Erez and Uzi Fogelman. And they have which is also a thing right because they cho someone chooses which the the leader of the Supreme <coughs> Court chooses which cases will go to which judges so and, that and way she can manipulate the result and basically and, it's not and, random and this is what seems to be happening and they are striking down repeatedly every attempt of Israel to defend its immigration policy right so their target is the law of return um, and this is typical of this elite it's it's post-national. Globalism is a post-national ideal. And so what these judges are doing is that they are de-Judaizing, if that's a word, the, the, the state of Israel. That's their, that's their long-term goal. But why? Because, because their ideal is a liberal, non-democratic ideal, which views any kind of nationalism as illegitimate. This has developed in Israel in response to the occupation of the West Bank. Um, and if you read, I, I have these arguments, I had this argument with many Mautner over the, the pages of Aretz, where he says, you know, nation, uh, the occupation, uh, the, the military rule over Judea and Samaria is the direct result of Israeli nationalism. So this is the essence of nationalism. So nationalism is apartheid. Nationalism is oppressive. And you see the same phenomenon. Look at the way the, the, this whole controversy plays out everywhere in the West. So if you look at Brexit, the elites are using liberal institution in, in institutions, in this case the, the European Union, in order to impose an immigration policy which the population doesn't like. And Britain secedes. Britain exits the Union. And what do the liberal elites say? They hate immigrants. They're xenophobic. And what do the Brits say? They said, no, we've lost control, not just of, over our immigration policy. We've lost control over our monetary and fiscal policy. We've lost control over our welfare policy. And vaccines. Little did because they I, know. That, this, that, uh, this is was before the vaccines. Yes, but it so, goes to show. It's a perfect I, I, example. For it, it's a perfect example for, for the way the elites misrepresent what is going on and what is going on is the Brits are saying we are being controlled by Brussels and half the laws in Britain are legislated in the U European Union and we have no influence over that because the European Union is this monstrous um, institutional labyrinth in which you, you can't even guess how your vote would influence anything. The European <laughs> Parliament is not much. And the Council of Europe is the, the strong institution there. And the Council of Europe is such a classic example of, of a, an alliance of elites against their populations. Because the, the, the whole structure is built like that, that 
elites meet elites and are able to impose the the, the worldview of their own worldview on a uh, on a population doesn't like it so okay but i i assume that you don't your argument in the book and and now is not that uh the judicial branches is, is passe and and should not exist um and, and i would say that COVID is actually a good uh is a good example uh maybe a good point to discuss of how the judicial branch is necessary or at least how there should be some kind of level of constitutional rights right for a for a population and that those constitutional rights can be transgressed against by a democratically elected uh, leadership meaning not everything that a democratically elected government does or imposes is necessarily um, is necessarily legal right it depends if it does so legally and and i I'm, i'm not saying that the courts should be abolished but what happened in israel is that there is no longer any semblance of checks and balances there is no limit to the authority of the courts there is no balance against it the only limits on their authority is what they decide themselves and they control their own appointments Mm-hmm. It's an uber government. It's nowhere like consider America in, in the United States. There's also a controversy over the role of the courts. And since the Warren Court, the courts have been considered activists and legislating from the bench. But in the United States, the appointment of judges is made by a president. The nomination is made by a president. And then they need to be uh, certified, cleared um, by the, the Senate. But what's stopping the politicians from changing the way supreme judges are elected like you you could change right the the way they're elected and then you'll have complete control over them in the long run and the, uh, nobody's talking about complete control they like uh, about no control you can choose yeah it, supreme uh, more control they could gain more control by legislating well you know in, in experience shows in Israel that whenever you try to limit the power of judges you suddenly find yourself under criminal investigation this has been repeatedly so Because over the decades persecutor is intertwined with oh yeah it's a small milieu and it's the it's a judicial oligarchy which actually controls um, government and and people are buying that bowing down to that and now we have a prime example right because they have tried to take down Netanyahu um, and probably succeeded. With indictments that are to say that they are ridiculous is to give them too much credit i've I've just wrote, written two pieces on a four thousand case in Aritz, and of course it was a pleasure because they all started screaming right um but but this is the big lie it's the big lie it's a it's a if you look into the details maybe people don't know what's the four thousand uh. it's the idea Netanyahu, the only indictment that has to that is serious that has to do with bribery. Is started with the idea that Netanyahu approved in terms of regulation limitations a deal for Bezek, um, a, a telecommunication company owned by a friend of his, in return for positive coverage in the site called Walla. Also owned by uh, which nobody which nobody cares about to be honest they, they keep saying that it's the second most popular site after 
ynet but they forget that it's not popular in the news section mm-hmm. it's popular in the entertainment section and nobody cares about the news in walla the exact accusation is that he got kind of control editorial control over the the, the, the accusation had a history it started with yeah. positive coverage and then it turned out that the coverage was not positive so they were they should have then and there just dropped it but instead they invented a new legal term not to mention that you know positive coverage as as bribe is a novel concept invented by the Israeli Attorney General and in jurists worldwide warned don't do this because the whole press is given take between politicians and journalists this is how the the whole thing works and you had on your podcast two guys right who have a project <coughs> of looking into all the articles. yeah it's a, this is an amazing thing because you Because in Israel, you know, the media is just a, is just a chorus. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, an, uh, it's, an, it's an anti-Netanyahu chorus. So, so they, looked in, they looked into, because the court ordered that they bring examples, and they looked into 300 and something articles. No, the, the, the thing was, the court said, uh, the court said, it was actually one of the judges said, phrased it in a funny way. He said, you're telling us about this forest. Um, but we don't but bring us the trees because you haven't brought the trees uh, and tells it, us to the prosecution or the prosecution because what happened is that they once they discovered that, that the coverage was not overall was not positive they what they retreated to is a bizarre idea where they said that the bribe was uh, um, how would you translate an, that uh, an unusual yeah. unusual and Um, responsiveness yeah. okay. unusual responsiveness to Netanyahu and his family's demands mm-hmm. uh, and so the judges said well what are the demands and so they brought a list of 315 demands mm-hmm. made from, by, taken from the phones yeah. like from conversations no, 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 315 yeah, yeah, articles from, Yesh, right? from Ilan Yeshua from no the demands to ah, change yeah, yeah. the articles right <coughs> and, and so and so this list of 13, 315 uh, demands turned out to be mostly a sham. For instance, a great portion of it is just press releases. Now that's not a demand. If, you, if, if they got a, you know, a fax or an email saying, oh, you know, Sarah Netanyahu visited these orphanages, right. this orphanage, um, th- and it was sent everywhere, So that's not consi- so publishing it doesn't, isn't, doesn't constitute anything. Also, any- they took another, other messages from those phones, and it turned out that everybody... asked and got yeah, other politicians yeah. asked the same so it's not unusual responsiveness yeah. but there were there were but there, but, but there were clear lies in this in this list or mistakes because some of the some of the demands said here Netanyahu demanded that they take down this article and they haven't taken it down to this day but why Gadi why would the mobiles or first Israel or the elite elites why would they want to To take down Netanyahu. I mean Netanyahu was like during his years the elites had amazing lives, their economic situation got better, there weren't any wars. Why did they want to take him down? I, the general answer is, is that he is, he is the, the effective representative of the stationaries, of the national, of the patriots. Of Israeli nationalism and they've become post-national but more concretely the I, I and I said this on Erel's uh, program when I used to co-host it with him I kept saying you know the logic of all this is Netanyahu is corrupt or else we'll have a binational state that which is 
you know, a logical jump, but this is what they do. Netanyahu is corrupt because if we don't blame him of something, we will end up in a one-state solution. So we have to take him down because we, are, we want a two-state solution. And the way to take it down is blaming him for corruption. And this is, the way, this is actually the way it was manufactured, manufactured because all these indictments started with the press. And someone, I, I wish I had the <coughs> wherewithal to, to, to or the, the, the research assistants to, to follow how every one of these things started with a dog whistle from the press. And you can see it now. They're already targeting Yossi Cohen. The, uh, the, the ex-head of Mossad. Who, yeah. who, who is, who is uh, um, shaping up for prime be, ministership. Yeah, he, and for, for leading the right. Right. Uh, yeah. And uh, Amir Ochana, they started grumbling in the marker. Gidon Saar apparently had, a, back in the day when he was in the right, right, he had uh, apparently some... They say that uh, the publisher of Yediot, who uh, was the most uh, important newspaper, had a safe with ready-made uh, investigative reports on oh, politicians. Oh, and the police have. This was the Tzhaki files. Yeah. The whole thing. This is J. Edgar Hoover stuff. They collected what, what, what is called undigested, would you say, Golmi? Um, raw. Raw, raw, raw intelligence mm -hmm. about politicians. And they had a file. You know what this means? It means that if I happen to say to someone, you know, Arya Derry is a, is a burglar, okay? Uh, so they write it down um, and they don't check it. And it's there. This is raw intelligence. And when you know that they're keeping raw intelligence, you know, if you're a politician, you say, when does this raw intelligence become material for an investigation? And now, you know, they have this thing, it's not an investigation, it's an inquiry. <laughs> it's an inquiry. Yeah. So they have, and now this whole, you know, the, 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 the pedophiles that they discovered and that nobody knows the names of and, and, and some of which are, we are told are politicians and they're not indicting But indicting why would Shai Nitzan, who was the kind of state persecutor, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, when, when Bibi was indicted, why would he specifically uh, want Bibi down? Because of the ones, like, because in the end of the day, he, he is, was the one who he, really pushed he, for it. He is. So what was his interest? He's Aaron Barak's. Uh, protege, protege, and 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 disciple, and Aaron Barak. To those who don't know, he was the most influential judge in the history Chief of Israel. Yeah. yeah, it's a Judge Richard Posner called him a legal buccaneer because he's a pirate. It's he has no he usurped authority here. Gotta right have him on the show. Barak, yeah. bring him. You, you, <laughs> Barak said in an interview, "I don't know what what judicial activism is." He said. Um, and if you read his book, uh, The Judge in a Democratic Society, you, you will see that this man is vehemently anti-democratic. He won't come to your show, though, I think. I, I, <laughs> I, I actually, I sat two seats away from him in a, in a shiva for Chaim oh. Uri, the poet. And I, and I came, there was an empty seat near Aliza, the widow. And he did this to you. <laughs> no, he didn't. No, he didn't. But he, but <laughs> but there was a free seat near Aliza, the the widow, and I know her since I was a child. So I so I came and sat that seat, and 
And, and a woman sat next to me and I didn't recognize her. Apparently this was Elisheva Barak, his right, wife. his wife. And then I see that right next to her is Aaron Barak. And I, and I peek and I see him doing a double take. And then he looks at me and he said, we have to talk. You know, I agree with a lot of the stuff you write, he said. And, <laughs> and, then, and, I was, and then I went to sit near the ju- journalist, my friend, Amnon Lord. He said, well, did he do, your sh- did he do his shtick on you? And I said, yes, he did. And that's what he does. He hugs you, you know. He's, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I know, for, he, you, you know, he is a, no one, no single person did so much damage to Israel democracy as Aaron Barak in all our history. And there's, you know. So Shai Nitzan is his protege. And there was also then, you, the, the, remember, the, there's a, these institutions are power-seeking. And they... And they and the Israeli Attorney General's office is is a snake spit because there has been incredible corruption there, and it is never investigated. Never, the Israelis know the Ruth David uh, uh, case, and they're they're blocking any attempt to review their stuff, and they're burning material. They're just they're they're just they're just cleaning archives it, it's nobody does that in the in, in the, the state bureaucracy except them and no one dares question their authority and I think Netanyahu thought if I leave them alone they would leave me alone but it was it was not meant to be and also remember that the, there was a there was a series of of uh, cases of sexual harassment by police chiefs and the investigation of Netanyahu completely stopped that in its tracks because now no one can touch the police chiefs because anyone who tries to move anyone in the police is they're, they're going to scream it's political intervention to save the right. politicians you got to choose your battles yeah as shiny Tsan said you know the, the the chief of the police was caught basically lying and and questions came to shiny Tsan. well what are we going to do about it because it's it, it now that we know that he lied. And he said, at the end of a tirade in which he said, you know, now we can't afford to shake the system. Now is when we're indicting a prime minister. And so we have to pay the price of not... not right. Because our enemies now want to shake the, the attorney general's office. Don't so, forget who public enemy number one is, basically, is what he's saying. Yeah, exactly. And public enemy number one is, incidentally, the head of the national camp in Israel, the head of the rights, the head... But the interesting thing is, and this like um, segues us to modern day uh, situation, is that they failed in the sense that Bibi still ran in the elections and he got so many votes, right? So many mandates. But not enough. But not enough. They actually, they managed to, they, they wounded him so badly that he could, because Israel is generally right wing, right? Right has a majority. in Israel. Even now it has a majority. It's not that it's not enough. It's <coughs> it, that it they gave certain politicians sort of an excuse, I guess, or a letter to say we boycott Net- Netanyahu. Exactly. Exactly. And, the, and these politicians have a vested interest because Netanyahu is blocking the sun for them, right? They, there's, there's no way to become, prim, to become prime minister before you move this guy who is... But isn't that just political leveraging, uh, you know, it on is. steroids, which is, which is what they do, and it can be expected of them. But, I mean, the but reason we ended up, that... We ben, ended up with, with Bennett, who, has, who, who nobody thinks I know, but I'm saying the, the, 
the reason Benjamin Netanyahu is no longer sitting uh, in Balfour as the Prime Minister of Israel is not because they they succeeded in taking him down. It's because the the attack against him was leveraged by fellow politicians. He was ousted, one of them being a, a politician on the right who just completely flipped sides. So it's not really the judicial system that took him down. The judicial system wounded him to such an extent that it became legitimate to desert him. That's what happened, because a lot of people have become convinced that he's corrupt. There's been a huge campaign, and as I said, the press here is conducting psychological warfare against Israel in general and the right specifically. And it had crea- and it created, you know, a lot of people who are... It even became kind of, uh, I just have to say, it kind of became... Uh, common knowledge on the right it started becoming like people started accepting the fact that Bibi is corrupt and they started the argument started being it doesn't bother me that he's corrupt because he does a good job or on they're X all corrupt ABC or they're all corrupt so so but some people think that they some people won't vote for him because they think he's corrupt because they've created this fiction and Netanyahu is not is uh, not an angel but he's if we are talking about corruption and specifically about uh, positive coverage as a form of bribe, then the whole of Yeshatid should march to the police Lapid's to be investigated. Yeah, Lapid is a friend of Moses. He he erased from his schedule his meeting with Moses. He did. He himself was not in the vote for the. Uh, is the, what is called the Israel Today law, which is an attempt to close a new a, a competing newspaper in the service of Yediot Achronot, of Moses. And in return, these people got amazing, flattering coverage in Yediot Achronot. So while the whole convoluted thing of unusual responsiveness in a, some godforsaken news site is, is completely ridiculous to the to the to the obvious deal that was between Yediot Achronot and these politicians. Ayelet Shaked was promoting this bill, and she, cowardly, in a cowardly way, she, she didn't come to the vote, but she, was, she signed the, the tabling of the bill. And, and she gets, you know, she's, she gets a model's coverage yeah. in, in, in Yediot Achronot. So these people have clearly corrupted the system and it may not be criminally uh, corrupt or criminal or or you can't make i don't think that positive coverage should be considered legally a bribe but it's it's certainly morally corrupt and it's certainly publicly corrupt and and nobody cares um because this the, the press created this Netanyahu craze. And if you went to the demonstrations, or if you saw or heard Did you the go? demonstration... I, no, because I would have gotten beaten. You think? Avishai almost got beaten up. And, and Avishai is, uh, is mild. He had to run away from there. These were people with blood in their eyes. You know, they were... It was disgusting. Maybe they, you know, he has a ponytail. Maybe that's the reason. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure on the people left... People don't like the On ponytails. the left, ponytails are, are just so... <laughs> But, but I think there's know, a consensus between was, right and left that ponytails is a no-no. But there was this, <laughs> it, was, it was wild and vulgar and calling for the death of Netanyahu and his son and his wife. 
and those demonstrate and and they did all these you know i don't know street theaters and they carried phallus phallus shaped balloons with with netanyahu's wife's name on it and you know none of the feminists said anything because it was the holy crusade against netanyahu and everything was permitted and uh, you know it's it's a it, crime minister is uh, i don't know what the involvement of ehud barak is uh, but nobody is pointing out Ehud Barak's uh, allegations. The former PM of the... uh, about suspe- allegations, they say, of, of corruption, not to mention his friendship with Jeffrey Epstein, which in any other. And, you know, we look at how the press is, is, is run here. Because I think it's easier to, to mention people who weren't friends with Jeffrey Epstein <laughs> than people, right? It's a, it's a shorter list. Probably. And what other politician was friends here with Jeffrey Epstein? Here in Israel? Yeah. Who knows? Who, but we don't know. We but, don't know. But we know Barack was, right? Yeah, we know Barack. We know Barack was, yeah. and, and we know further. And this has been, I think, the only time it appeared on the Israeli press is when Erel Segel and I read it on the radio. Ehud Barak used to go visit the building, I think it's uh, 301 East 66th Street in New York. Yeah, it's his apartment, the apartment of, of Jeffrey. No, no, no. no? He, he visited the apartment. That's in Fifth Avenue, I think, or somewhere around the, there, uh, um, uh, close to Washington Square, I think. But this is up east. And this is the building where Jeffrey Epstein's brother owns many apartments. And Jeffrey Epstein housed the, the pilots of the Lolita Express and the models, the, the, the girls he brought from, I don't know, uh, third world countries, he housed them there. And Ehud Barak used to go visit that building. So Allegedly. It, not allegedly. This is what, I, well, allegedly. It's, it's the neighbors have been complaining because he came with a security detail and they were making noise in the lobby. Mm-hmm. So this is why we know it's alleged. I, it's, it, I, I, I haven't checked it myself. And... And, and this doesn't appear on the press anywhere because anything that can be used, you imagine Netanyahu had done that. Um, anything that can be used against a neutral, you, you, I'll say it this way, you, be, you, get, you get immunity from, from um, indictments if you are useful in the war on Netanyahu. Barak ran in the elections after this, right? Maybe no, no. After the whole, was, he no, ran. No. He ran one time. Yeah, in Moed Bet. He, 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 he was, was number ten. Number in the ten in demo- Meretz. But why yeah. was he number ten in Meretz? He wanted to run at the head of Meretz. Yeah, they wouldn't let him. The, and, and it was called the Democratic the, uh, Front. Camp. Yeah. The, and, and no, it's not that they didn't let him. He he presented himself as a challenger to Netanyahu. But once the Epstein thing broke out, and especially the Vexner thing, the Les Vexner, the 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 the, the, the Vexner. Uh, fund gave him, I think, two twelve, points, twelve. No, 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 no. two point six or something like that million dollars for conducting research, which he refused to disclose. So we don't know what research he was conducting. Or What's the nicest apartment in Tel Aviv? That was the research that he was conducting. <laughs> <laughs> he might have, but once these things were exposed, he just he he crawled under a stone and just. But do you think, yeah? No, I was gonna. I was gonna go, go, go. Because okay. do I, you think like, what's your criticism on Netanyahu? In the end of the day, right? Maybe he could have done things that would lead to different ending to to this story, right? What's his responsibility here? Oh, he has great responsibility. He should have. He should have understood that the right is not exactly in control so long as 
the judiciary is holding Israeli politics in a Nelson embrace. Uh, you don't say embrace a Nelson clinch. Half Nelson. Half Nelson. It's it's like it, it it just it holds Israeli politics by the throat, and he should have done something about it. And he only did something about it when it started to concern himself. But he's not a guy who goes <coughs> to wars, right? He, he's a very That's conservative true. guy. That's he true. wouldn't suicide on the mission, right? He That's wouldn't true. be a jihadist against anything. He, that's true. And, and this is... And someone who worked with him once told me that he is a, a, a hamal, um, a, or, an, or an emergency room uh, politician, not a bureaucratic politician. So he doesn't... He doesn't pay attention to bureaucratic processes. Instead, he knows more than anyone else how to treat an emergency because he is extremely cool-headed. He is way smarter than anywhere, uh, anyone around him. And he also has a very clear um, political vision. So, and his vision is, we now see why it's being dismantled. We now see how sophisticated and effective his his vision was because he understood that that the Israel cannot depend on on an American administration. Um, this was the, the 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 lesson from the Obama years, and so he, it had to create a peripheral uh, set of alliances. He also understood that the key to Middle East peace is bypassing the Palestinians, which the Kerry Obama administration tried to John Kerry as Secretary of State and Obama as President tried to cling to because this was the leverage um, for for uh, Christianing the Iran deal um, and and so the and and Netanyahu realized that the alliances in the Middle East the future alliances should be between Israel and all the others who are afraid of Iran and then came the the good years of the The, the the Trump years and and you know I I, I had uh, Mike Pompeo the former Secretary of State on my podcast and which is him, called let's plug the podcast it's called the gatekeeper but it's in Hebrew this this episode was in we'll English. put a link to the episode um I'll be grateful and and I asked him what was the policy of your administration of Trump's administration in the Middle East <clears throat> and, and he said it it was comprised of three elements one of Is he said we understood that the destabilizing element in the Middle East is Iran secondly we realized that we have to overcome the Palestinian veto on the peace process and thirdly we realized we have to keep some kind of striking force to back this up and 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 it is this vision that enabled the The Abraham Accords, which the Biden administration is now dismantling. And Lapid is celebrating. Lapid was just in Morocco, inaugurating the, the, the embassy. The check. Yeah, Lapid is, you know, Lapid is, 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 is I don't know, it's just, he, he's good with selfies. No, he's a good um, politician. He's the architect of this government. He, he, right? He, yeah. He, he overthrew Rubibi. He, he is, took down the king. He, he is sly, but he's he's postmodern, so he's very flexible. He has no ideology. Um, he lies about everything. He lied about his military career. He lied before the election, promising this and promising that. And, and he's completely flexible, right? Because he's completely postmodern. I keep telling my friends he's not 
these are not exactly he's not exactly a liar because he believes he doesn't believe in truth, so there, so you say what is useful at any moment and with equal sincerity, and and so um, he he is he doesn't understand. I think he 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 understands the tiny coalition politics. He doesn't understand strategy, and he and they are going to be they are going to be hostages of the Biden administration, and and the Biden administration is moving to dismantle what Trump did. So now you're not the, the bureaucracy in, in the current administration is not allowed to say the Abraham Accords. Uh, mm. They're not allowed to call them by name. And they're trying to bring back the Palestinian veto. Because what? Because they're trying to bring back the um, the crazy Iran deal. And we're we're gonna and, and it seems that Netanyahu was audacious enough to confront an American president and say no, but these people won't. They're weak, and they, they. So we're doomed. I don't think we're doomed, but I think there's no way now that we have to to stop uh, the Iran, um, the Iran nuclear program, which <clears throat> was always designed to give Iran the bomb. Obama once, even in a in a moment, an unguarded moment, said it. He said they'll be able to be, to to break out. That is to to move from a, a civil to a military um, uh, program and get the actual bomb, he said, in a matter of weeks, I think, or something like that, after 2028. So this 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 JCPOA, this agreement, was not designed to contain Iran. It was designed to give it a cover until it gets the bomb. Because Obama's vision for the Middle East is based on this naivete that if we... If we give give them a stake in the game, then they'll be moderated. They just th these people just do, he's an Edward Said president, right? It's it's all about how how do we apologize to the um, to the third world? So I mean, is this also part of the book? The kind of because you talk about the the rise of anti democratic liberalism. So in the U.S. as well, the liberal elites and their takeover oh, yeah. of democracy. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's the same. It's the same in America. It's the same in, the, in Europe. It's the same everywhere in the West. And if so, the book is the book full of problems, or is it? I mean, I'm assuming most of its problems. But are there any ideas for how to move past this? Oh yeah, I, because because I think that the only safe bedrock for democracy is nationalism and patriotism. And I think in what sense? Okay, in the sense that unpack if, that if you want citizens who have political power to use that power for the common good they had to have some kind of emotional bond to the collective in which this democratic government exists because if they don't it would just be torn apart if the, these are competing tribes it will just be torn apart so what is it that connects you <coughs> what is it that makes you as a private citizen use your vote for the common good, not just for your private interest. It's the fact that you care about this collective. And the way to make people care about this collective, or the only, it's not we don't make him, the only, the only um, arrangement, effective arrangement that we know is nation states. Usually, it, I'm not saying it's, it, there, there are exceptions. Political science is not like physics. It's not that if you find one stone that doesn't fall, then gravity is gone, right? It's then gravity was a mistake, but there there are exceptions in political science. Yet there are this doesn't mean there are no rules. And the general rule is that 
by or multinational states usually don't survive unless in empires. Um, and so uh, people like me believe that the European Union is more like the Habsburg Empire than it is like a democracy. But isn't there maybe a possibility that this does stem from personal interest, meaning that somehow people voted or didn't vote, but supported uh, um, from personal interest kind of the, the, the formation of a body that best kind of preserved homeostasis, meaning like if, if they only if they were in tribes then they were constantly at war and then there was kind of a larger entity and that didn't with that didn't really withstand because uh it was prone to uh, autocratic rulers and then eventually we found this kind of formation that was the nation state that was kind exactly. of exactly i think this is what happened and therefore international stability and peace i think have a better chance if you conceive of humanity as a family of nations in the in the sense that uh, Theodor Herzl did, that uh, Woodrow Wilson did, that Giuseppe Mazzini did. Um, and as Herzl beautifully put it, you know, people would be tolerant of each other if all of them have a homeland. And I think he, he was right and history gives many lessons in this respect, it's, you see that when you try to suppress nationalism, you get ultra-nationalism, you get violent nationalism. And this happened most clearly in Italy and in Germany um, in the first half of the 20th century. And now again in Germany. And, and what's going on now in Germany? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I supported German unification, but it's not clear, you, you know, Henry Kissinger said that German is always e Germany is always either too weak for its neighbors or too strong for its neighbors. And Europe has not managed to find any adequate arrangement. And I don't know, maybe my father, my late father, would prove right because he was, he was totally against the unification of Germany. He said this never ends well. And, so, and some people just think, you know, the, the European Union is now is now an extension of a too strong Germany. Wow. So are you going to run? <laughs> no. Oh, <laughs> run for politics. No way. No, I never, don't, never. I don't have the why because I don't have the right temperament and, you know, writing or any, I think intellectual work is, is in a way the opposite of politics and politics is about the art of the compromise and I mean, we made it that way, but it wasn't always that way, right? In I, the past, I, it, politicians it, were it, intellectuals. It, mm, some of them were. Netanyahu is, in a way. Uh, but he's not an intellectual in temperament. He's a, he's a, he is in education, and he reads. Mm -hmm. he, it, and, and, and even um, he said once that he, his father asked him, do you know what the most important thing for a leader is? And he said no, and his father said education. I tell that to Yair Lapid, who didn't finish his high school, and and therefore invents definitions of anti-Semitism that serve anti-Semites. Um, but but generally, I don't think intellectuals are. But maybe we can change majority. that. Do we want to? I, it's not you know intellectuals in politics. 
is often dangerous. It's no, you can think of Václav Havel, people who are you know literary figures, but that's I think that's that's rare. Um, politicians need to be practical, realistic, and 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 tend to compromise. And I think intellectuals are have caused more damage than good. So I don't consider that class to be to be especially useful and and you look at I think the, your answer tells us which camp you're in. I, I don't know. <laughs> you I didn't give us a yes no, but you <laughs> philosophized for about 2 minutes. No, I gave you a no. I'm not going there. No. No. No, I'm not taking it no as a no. Way. And I don't know if you know my I'm, I my 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 automatic Twitter reaction is elita metumtemet. I keep that Moronic, stupid elites. Stupid elites. It's because the Israeli elites are just so incredibly clueless. But how politics. will we ever change it if we don't uh, partake? Um, we partake in different in different roles. I'll keep writing, <laughs> and others will run for office. I don't think. And 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 remember. But those are the strongholds of of power. Yeah, but I, I, I don't, I, and I don't specifically even think I would, I would have liked it. You know, a lot of politicians, for instance, are. It's not about you. To, it, it's, it's about us. Oh, you're going to run. No, you, you suffer for, for, for uh, us. They are Jesus. No, but I, the, the, I, the, my point is that I will make you suffer more, probably not intentionally, <laughs> but this is what what's bound to happen because polit- because intellectuals are not good for politics. Okay. okay, guys, check out the book is being translated. If you read um, Hebrew, you can yeah. go to Selameir, I think, right? And yeah, and get the Hebrew is, version. But if yeah. not, you can wait for the English version. The rise of anti-democratic liberalism in Israel, the U.S., and the West. It's a it's a tentative title, right? Or I think it's already the title. It's the, yeah. it's okay. the title. Okay. Either way, follow Gadi Taub, and you'll be sure to yeah. To also check out his podcast. We'll put a yes. link. Some episodes are in English. Yes, yes. With some cool guests like Mike Pompeo and uh, Douglas Mary. And Douglas Mary. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Thank you so much for coming. It, it's really always appreciate a pleasure. It. I think it's like the third or fourth time. Third. Yeah. And before we go, first of all, guys, we have merch. Go to twingb.com slash merch and buy one of the mugs. Yes. BDS Tears mugs. My personal favorite, nice BDS Jewish tears, boy. nice Jewish boys. We're yeah. going to have a nice Jewish girl mug coming yeah, out soon. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. 2njb.com slash merch. You should get w- some... What uh, about other genders, guys? Oh, we will, right. You know what? That is actually a great idea. That <laughs> nice is a great Jewish idea. them. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so check them out. You should also get some merch. Why don't you have a... Yeah, I'm an intellectual <laughs> mug. <laughs> it's a good one. Yeah, no, no, but... My, the 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 secret of my podcast is it's a completely home brewed thing, so I mm. don't have merchandise. Okay, no. ah. he, he won't commercialize. Um, okay, and we are collaborating with Arutz Sheva, so check them out at israelnationalnews.com for uh, some uh, interesting news in English about Israel and the Australian Jewish news. Yes, ajn.timesofisrael.com for the Australian angle on Jewish news opinions. Uh, and finally, we uh, do this on our free time. So if you want to help us out, go to 2njb.com slash donate. That's it. And that Follow Gaditao on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok. Thank you, Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs>